Thank you, Rich. Well, congratulations, Chicagoans. You are a part of history. This is the third snowiest January in recorded weather history. <laughs> Don't you feel great about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and there, it's going to warm up tomorrow, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, man, it keeps coming. It keeps coming. Uh, this is winter. It's a great time to have retreats, and we have a lot of retreats going on this weekend. Uh, we had the women's retreat over in Deerfield at the Embassy Suites, like 65 women who are there. They're meeting this morning, so we can be praying for them. And on top of that, we have a junior high retreat that's going on in Wisconsin. And we have about 20 teens and adults there. So let's continue to pray that they would have safe journeys home and that God would continue to use those times of refreshment. Game changer. you probably heard that more over the last decade, uh, the, the term game changer. Well, here's a definition. A newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. I was looking at a news website for some game-changing events in 2013. They mentioned, first of all, the appointment of Pope Francis. That certainly seems to be a game-changer uh, for the Catholic Church. They also mentioned the Boston Marathon bombings. That was a game-changer in terrorism. And then we also look at uh, the NSA, of course, the leaks by Edward Snowden, and that's a game-changer uh, for the NSA. But the main game changer in all of Scripture, of course, is the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth as a God-man. He paid the penalty for our sin by the crucifixion on the cross, and then he rose again. That was the number one game changer. But today, we want to talk about, I believe, what is at least the number two game changer in the New Testament. And again, we could qualify things in different ways. But the reason I, I want to call it that is because it's underplayed. People don't realize the importance of what happened in Acts chapter 2. Uh, experiencing the Holy Spirit. What we see in Acts chapter 2 is when the church began. When the, the Holy Spirit came down and baptized those first believers. And baptism of the Holy Spirit means that He came to dwell within them. And that was a game changer. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember, Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. He says, but you will receive power, or Jesus Christ says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now that is the mission of the church. Matthew 28, it talks about, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We're all about disciple making. Bringing people into relationship with Jesus and helping them to thrive in that relationship to the power of the Spirit. Now I read on here in Acts 1, and Jesus Christ said, and while staying with them, he ordered them, now this is a group of about 120 disciples, he had his 12 disciples, and he had a larger group that he ministered to. He said, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Remember, he was on earth for 40 days before he ascended, and there were 10 days before Pentecost. He had Passover when people came from all over the world in order to be a part of that particular feast, and then you had Pentecost 50 days later. So he ascended at 40 days, and the church began 10 days later. We go to the next passage. It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now let me give a little bit of context here. Jesus Christ had promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come several times. He told the disciples, I'm going to send you the Spirit. And in John 14, he was and he was answering different questions. The disciples were concerned about the future. They were concerned, what's going to happen here? When is the kingdom going to come? And this is what Jesus Christ said to them. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now notice what he says. Another helper, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate. Uh, that's who the Holy Spirit is, a third person of the Trinity. Uh, the Holy Spirit is just as much as God as any other member of the Trinity. Uh, he has personal attributes. Uh, he can be sinned against. He has emotions. Uh, so a very important member of the Trinity, like all members. Uh, and what he says is that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he is going to be your helper. Now, here's a question that I have for you. If you had a choice between Jesus Christ, the glorified Jesus Christ being in your presence 24 hours a day, being with you, or having the Holy Spirit within you as you do now if you're a Christ follower, if you've repented and come to Christ, what would you choose? Would you choose Jesus being with you 24 hours a day, or would you choose the Holy Spirit? Think about that for a moment. Now let me ask another question. Let's say you're an aspiring high school quarterback. Would you rather choose Peyton Manning to be with you 24 hours a day, coaching you, training you, or would you rather have the spirit of Peyton Manning within you? Would you rather have the, the experience of Peyton Manning within you, the strength of Peyton Manning within you? What would you prefer? I don't know about you, but I would prefer the spirit of Peyton Manning. <laughs> I mean, Peyton Manning can only teach me so much, right? But if I can have Peyton Manning, in a sense, within me, I can be like Peyton Manning. And that's the point here, friends. Jesus Christ said, it is better that I go and that the Holy Spirit comes. Now, how could he say something like that? Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ himself, God himself, was going to come reside within us and He was going to live through us and accomplish His mission through us. That's why it's so much better that the glorified Jesus Christ is not here with me right now, but I have the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit within me. What a marvelous, miraculous, unbelievable 
thing, and this is why it is a game changer. Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, when the Holy Spirit came into these individuals, this was a big deal. And the fact that you have the Holy Spirit residing within you, the Bible says that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you are to act like a temple of the Holy Spirit. That is a big deal. That's something to get excited about. That's something to fully appreciate. That's something to fully utilize. That's something to live out. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much. All right. Well, let's look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So the day of Pentecost was the festival that celebrated the first fruits. Uh, they would bring, it was really the the barley festival, I guess you could say, uh, where they would bring their barley uh, from their first crop, one might say, and celebrate uh, that together, thanksgiving to God for His provision. And they were all together, Acts 1 says there were about 120 disciples, and they were all together in an upper room. Remember how we've talked about different houses in the New Testament, and they always had an upper room, so they were at some house. It could have been where they had the Last Supper, who knows where they were. But they were in a room. Uh, together. That's the point. They're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, this is very important. Okay, they're all sitting. They don't know. They're just waiting. They're doing what Jesus Christ told them to do. Uh, it wasn't like they said in a half hour, he's showing up. No, <laughs> it just came. A sound. A sound. Not, not a mighty rushing wind. Okay, it was like a mighty rushing wind. How many have ever been uh, uh, near a tornado, in a tornado before, that unfortunate experience? Uh, some of you have. Uh, but, you know, you hear about it sounding like a train and things like that. I mean, it is scary. Okay? Now, all we know is that this <laughs> this this made a lot of noise because... What happened was, we'll see later in the passage, is that all these people from all over the world had gathered together for Pentecost, and they came to see what was going down, because this sound was so loud. Now, the odd thing about it was, nothing was moving. It sounded like a mighty Russian wind, but nothing was moving. There were no chairs flying, no papers flying, people up against the wall, you know, people hanging out at things. It was just like right right now. But it would be like we're here right now and we hear a tornado. But nothing's happening. What was happening? The Spirit was coming to town. The Spirit was coming to people's lives. And it was an event. And it rocked Jerusalem that day. So it sounded like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Many times the Holy Spirit is compared to a wind. We look in this next verse, John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you are a Christ follower today, you know what the Holy Spirit feels like. The Holy Spirit testifies to the fact that you know Jesus. You know what it's like 
You're sitting there in your quiet time. You're reading God's Word. And all of a sudden, boom! You read a passage. A passage you're familiar with. And it just flies off the page. And, and the Spirit speaks to you through that passage in a way He never has before. He speaks to you in your current situation. He lifts you up. He encourages you. He convicts you. Whatever. But man, the book is alive because the Holy Spirit is in that book and the Holy Spirit is in your life. And there is an electrical connection that's made. Now let's say you're going through a tough time. You're struggling in life. Your, your energy is low. And uh, in the midst of that experience, you feel a comfort. You feel God's presence that uh, is very unique based on you know, what's happening in your life. You shouldn't be feeling this way. You, you experience a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of a very conflicted situation. That is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I've been working uh, through some different uh, things, planning for the church, that kind of thing. And I can identify two different times when God, I believe, gave me wisdom, gave me an insight that I know was not from me. <laughs> My stuff is pretty bland. <laughs> So when I come up with a good idea, I mean, really, really a good idea in, in terms of my estimation compared to my normal ideas, <laughs> I say, that's the Spirit of God because Harrison doesn't come up with stuff like that. I mean, it is so easy. I mean, it just comes to mind. And I say, where did that come from? Why was that so easy? Well, it was the Spirit of God saying, Dan, this is what you need to do. That's the Spirit. Of God. And you see, it's kind of like a wind. You don't know when it's coming. And when it comes, it's cool. And when it leaves, well, I mean, it's not, not in the sense that it leaves you. I mean, there's surges of the Spirit, I believe. I mean, we, we want to be always filled and yielded to the Spirit, but I believe there are certain times that it's just like, boom! You know, it's like, wow. A power surge. And you know, it, it's just so comforting to know that Jesus... Is speaking to you through His Spirit. Well, we go on here in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So he's covering the whole... <laughs> he's covering the whole gang there. Jews are Greeks, right? Jews and Gentiles. Slaves are free. Fifty percent of the Roman world were slaves. And all were made to drink of the one Spirit. Then Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, baptism of the Spirit. Same idea. Baptism into Christ. That's what happens at salvation. And friends, uh, this is what makes the church of God such a beautiful thing. This is why this is such a game changer. It's the Spirit 
that is a glue of the church. The Spirit is a glue of a church. There are many different analogies of the Spirit. We think about, uh, excuse me, analogies of the church. We think about the bride of Christ. A more beautiful analogy, right? It speaks of the future. It, it speaks of the fact that uh, we belong to Christ and that we're going to live with Him uh, forever. We think about the fact that we are a spiritual temple, that we are a, 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 a building as a church. And, and you can think of the Holy Spirit as the mortar around those bricks that holds that uh, together. You think about uh, a spiritual household, as it says in Scripture, or uh, the term that I love to use so much, a spiritual family, that we're a family together. And what holds us together as a family? It's the Holy Spirit. Now, my question for all of you today is, why in the world are you here? What is going on with you people? Don't you know that this is the worst January we've had in quite a while? Don't you know that? I mean, we were fooled the last two years. We're thinking, oh man, we're living in southern Illinois. No, we are not living in southern Illinois. We're living in Chicago. So we get two years of this nice mild weather, and then bam! Knock us on the floor! Arctic temperatures, snow, more Arctic temperatures, snow. Why are you here? You know where you should be. You should be in bed. You should be curled up in front of the couch watching some TV show that you like. You should be having brunch somewhere. I mean, I mean you may you say, no way am I going outside, but you, you're here. Why are you here? The Holy Spirit brought you here. That's what keeps you coming every Sunday. That's what keeps you from saying, ah, forget church. No, the Holy Spirit, you're going to church today because you're part of the body and I'm drawing you. That's why you continue to serve in this church. You're tired. i got too much to do. I'm overwhelmed. But you continue to come out to Awana. You continue to come out to youth ministry. You go on retreats. You continue to serve. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the glue. He keeps on drawing you to Himself and to each other. The most beautiful analogy of a church is the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is the head, right? He is our head shepherd. And we are part of the body. And each of you plays a critical role. You've been given spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to unleash. You are a critical piece of the body. Even if you're way deep down inside there, you know, even if you're a gallbladder. Okay? God made you a gallbladder for a reason. I had mine removed. I'm still okay, but I know something's got to be wrong. But God made gallbladders for a reason, right? You know? We are all members of this body. And I tell you what, friends, this is the game changer. This is, this is why, you know, as I studied this, I got more and more amped up. And I wish I had more energy. <laughs> you know, I just wish, you know, I've been a pastor for 22 years. I've seen a lot. I've been involved in the denominational. I've heard all oh, the stories I've heard about pastors and churches and problems and all that kind of stuff. We're just a bunch of sinners here. But there's one difference, okay? 
The difference is the Holy Spirit. The difference is that we've been transformed by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. God lives within us. That's the difference, man. And it's a beautiful thing to celebrate. And uh, it's just wonderful to be part of a body like that. It's just a privilege. And yeah, we're, we're imperfect and we hurt each other and we say stupid things to each other. But we, we forgive because we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Tony and Irma Lopez sitting right here. God bless you guys, you know. Man, you are such a gift to Springbrook, and God called you away for a while, and I told God he made a mistake. No. <laughs> of course, I didn't say that. But uh, now you're back, you know. But, you know, you went down, uh, was it Kansas City? Okay. Now you find, you, what? Wichita, Kansas. Wichita, Kansas. And you found a church there, right? You know? Uh, yeah, you grew there, right? Did you feel connected to those people? Did you love those people? Did those people minister to you? Did those people disciple you? Isn't that beautiful? You went, you went to Wichita, Kansas. What in the world is in Wichita, Kansas? Okay? Lots of wind. That's right. But isn't that beautiful? No matter wherever you go in this world, friends, wherever God takes you, there is going to be a body of believers that will take you in and love you and encourage you and disciple you and set you on fire. Isn't the church a beautiful thing? Amen? Oh, man. Amen and amen. Oh, boy, I'm behind. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, right. It is. I'll tell you that. That's a beautiful thing about preaching. Sometimes I get that surge. But um, let's see. Well, let me just continue on. All right. Uh, Acts two, three through four. Um, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Now again, as of fire, as of fire. Again, it wasn't fire, but it was, again, they're trying, you got all these people who are testifying to what happened, and they're saying, I don't know, it looked like fire or something. It wasn't fire, but it all kind of rested upon this. This, I believe, was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, it happened in this way a couple other times for specific groups. This is not prescriptive in terms of how it always happens, but when the Holy Spirit first came to the church, it happened a couple different times in this way. But the tongues, as a fire, appeared to them and rested on each of them. All right? And they were all filled with the Spirit. Now, that's something totally different we'll talk about in a moment. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we go, now that's the word dialect. So, they, I believe that that particular word speaks of actual languages that we find in this world. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So they all had come together uh, for Pentecost. Then we see in verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together. Remember the tornado going on the other side of town? That's <laughs> like, we've got to go check that out. All right. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Imagine if you went on a missions trip and you went deep into Africa, let's say, and and no, nobody knew English. I mean, the people who were sponsoring you did, and you had these translators that were with you. And you were there for four days, and let's say you got to know one of the natives. And and uh, uh, on the fourth day, this wonderful, let's say, young man comes up to you, and you've had a translator with him uh, for the whole week, and all of a sudden this 
This kid comes up to you and says, hey, I am so glad you came to, to help us out, minister to us. We love you guys. <laughs> You're kind of like, <laughs> where did that come from, right? Yeah, well, that's the idea. These people had come from all over the, the world. There was a common language, but at the same time, Greek, of course. Uh, but again, I mean, these people, these disciples, they were speaking the languages from the uh, places they had come from. All right? So it just blew them away. Verse 7. We go on to verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, remember, Jesus Christ is a Galilean, right? He lived in Nazareth. And they were known as farmers and shepherds, not as educated people, not as sophisticated people, not as cultural uh, people. And therefore, it surprised them even more that people maybe they kind of looked down upon were speaking these languages. And we go on to verse 8. And how is it that we hear each, each of us in his own native language? Parthenians and Medes. Let's keep going here uh, to verse 10. Uh, and it keeps going and going. And then it's, we say we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Now, listen, a bunch of different areas. Now, we'll see a map here. Again, whenever Jew, these were devout Jews. So they traveled far distances to come to Jerusalem. So here we see a map of all the different locations uh, that were mentioned in those couple verses. And so the beautiful strategy, of course, is that these people, uh, many of them stayed on uh, with the early church, as we know, and we'll study uh, next week. Uh, but at some point they went home. And what were they? They were like Jamie Strandberg. They were, they were mission. Well, let's say it together. Missionaries, right? They took the gospel home uh, with them. That was all part of God's strategy. So let's go to the next slide. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to wonder, what does this mean? Now, what goes on here that we're going to have to skip over because of time is, and I want you to go home and do this. I want you to read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. And uh, he really just kind of nails them. He says, you guys crucified Jesus. And they were convicted, and they said, what should we do? And they said, Peter said, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. And 3,000, 3,000 people were baptized that day. Isn't that amazing? Wow. <laughs> there is some dynamite going off. All right, now let's go to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, what I want to do is just briefly explain to you the difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christ follower, you are justified. All your sins are forgiven. God sees you as holy and pure. No sins are held against you. That automatically happens. In the same way, when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, that happens automatically. You don't have to send in a rebate form or anything. <laughs> it just happens. Okay? The Holy Spirit is within you. And there are some churches that teach that there is a second blessing, that you kind of get uh, installment of the Holy Spirit. But if you really want uh, the hybrid, the, <laughs> the super 3.0 version of the Holy Spirit, you have to seek after Him. And usually it's evidenced by uh, the supernatural gift uh, of tongues. That's uh, speaking in a heavenly uh, language. And we... Do not believe the Bible teaches that. Okay? Uh, we believe that once you become a Christ follower, all of the Holy Spirit is given to you. I mean, you're immersed. That's the idea of bath, 
the word baptism, it means to immerse. So you're immersed totally in the Spirit. You've got all the Spirit within you. Now, here is the, here is the, uh, the maturity journey that you go through, the discipleship journey that you go through. Now, it's very important to realize here is whose mission are you on? Whose mission are you on? And I think that all of us, if we were honest, would say that many times we're defaulting to our own personal mission for our lives. I know I have a a personal mission uh, for my life that's very selfish. Uh, I could, I'm not going to tell you, but (laughs) it's nothing bad or anything, but it's just very selfish. You know, what I'd like in life, you know, I mean, all the different things that, you know, would be nice to have or experience or those kind of things or, you know, or just saying, hey, I'd like my life to go well. I'd like not to have major problems. I'd like all my kids to flourish, I'd, you know, in the best possible sense. But that's Dan's personal mission. Well, God is not concerned about Dan's personal mission for his life. God is concerned about God's mission for Dan's life. And I know from Scripture God's mission for my life. The first priority is through the power of the Holy Spirit is that I become like Jesus Christ. Is that I I live a life that uh, is uh, intertwined with Christ. Is that Christ becomes the center of everything that I do uh, through His power. And that then extending out from that is that I pass it on to other people. That I become a disciple of Christ, I become a learner of Christ, I become a follower of Christ. And then the mission is to tell other people, to encourage other people, to build up other people. That is the mission. So, friends, that's very important for us to continue to wrestle with and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Because when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we can approach this as kind of like, okay, God... Uh, I need a little bit of your spirit here. I need a little bit of power here. I need a little bit of wisdom here. I need a little bit of insight here. Uh, I don't need any conviction. You can hold off on that. (laughs) You know, the idea of filling is not just like uh, going over to Costco or going over to Thornton's, okay, to get some extra gas. The idea of filling is being yielded. That's really the idea, is to say, God, I'm going to yield myself to you and your Holy Spirit. And I want you to work through me. I want your will for my life. And I'm going to yield. Now, usually we got the Heisman going with God, right, in different areas of our life. It's a multi-step process, of course, when you're growing as a disciple because you continue to give territory over to God that you think you own. But you realize, oh, I guess I don't own that. But we all have areas that we're still struggling with, and we need to have the Holy Spirit uh, convict us about those. But we say, God, you know, I'm going to take down my Heisman arm here, and and I'm going to give you a certain area of my life. And, you know, as we know, relationships are some of the most difficult things that we deal with in our lives. And think about a relationship in your life right now that you're struggling with. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your child. Maybe it's... Uh, with your boss, maybe it's with a neighbor, maybe it's somebody in your extended family, maybe it's a close friend. And 
possibly as you've approached this relationship, uh, you've been trying to control things. You've had the Heisman arm up, and and you've basically been saying, God, you know, I got this taken care of. I'm going to continue to work it. I'm going to continue to be anxious about it and all those type of things. But just, you know, allow me to take care of this. And, and, and for you to be filled with the Spirit in that relationship is to give that relationship over uh, to the Spirit, is to yield to Him and say, you know, I've tried to work this thing long enough. I mean, it, it doesn't mean you stop working on the relationship. It means you just make, you know, God the project manager and the Holy Spirit <laughs> who empowers you. And uh, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is continue to be yielding different areas, different territories of your life over to God, whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is. And, you know, when you do that, you see, that's, that's the critical thing. You have all of the Holy Spirit, but most of us are underutilizing His power. It's just the truth. We're underutilizing His power. It's there, but we think we can do it better. Now we look up at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, and we read, But the fruit of the Spirit... Now, if you yield an issue of your life or a relationship of your life to the Holy Spirit, and you give the Spirit some room to work within you, this is the kind of stuff He's going to start to produce. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And for you to experience those things, the supernatural power of God in your life, all you need to do is say, I surrender. I surrender. Work through me. And again, it's not going to change overnight. But friends, as you just surrender every day, every day, you're going to start to experience that miraculous power of the Holy Spirit pouring through you in unusual ways you've never experienced before. You know, as I was uh, preparing for this message, the one verse that really, really struck me was Psalm 51.11. This really just cut me to the quick. Now, David had, of course, as you know, sinned. He had slept uh, with Bathsheba. He had killed her husband, Uriah, in battle. Then he covered it up for a year. Then the prophet Nathan came to him and uh, the Holy Spirit worked through Nathan and David was convicted. And if you, if you read Psalm 51, it's all about repentance. But this is David's number one fear that he has. His number one fear. His number one fear is not about his kids. It's not about his wives. It's not about, you know, any money or anything. You know what his number one fear is? He says, cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. You've got to realize in the Old Testament, this is why this is such a game, uh, uh, 
changer. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came on people at certain times for certain purposes. We think of Samson, right? You know, he, he had the power of the Spirit until he gave the secret away about his hair. And as soon as his hair was cut off, you know, the Spirit went away. And that's what David was fearing. He knew the Spirit was on him. He felt what we feel, okay, in regards to the Holy Spirit's guidance, encouragement, wisdom, power, all things we've talked about. And he knew that God could take that away. And that was his main fear, that that would be part of the discipline. Now, because I'm a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit has been given to me. It says it's a seal upon my life. Uh, like a signet ring of a king who had burned hot wax on a letter and nobody opens that letter except for the people that were intended uh, to open that letter. It's a, it's a seal. So I'm sealed with the power. I'm sealed with the Spirit, which means that I belong to God. And and the only person who's going to take that seal off is Jesus Christ when I get to heaven, okay? And uh, it's a guarantee of my inheritance in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. So there's no way the Holy Spirit can be taken away from me. But, you know, sometimes I think maybe that would be a good thing if I thought that that would be a possibility. Because I think that that I can easily become uh, blasé of the fact that I have the Spirit. Like, oh, I have the Spirit, you know, I'll tap into Him when I need Him. But friends, if you have the Spirit of God within you, this is what I think to myself. Okay, Dan, you have the Spirit of God. David was concerned about losing the Spirit of God. So if David is concerned about losing the Spirit of God, how much do you value the fact that the Spirit of God lives in you? And how much are you accessing the Spirit's power in your life to transform you to be like Jesus Christ? Are you wasting the Spirit's power? Are you wasting what the Spirit wants to do in your life? So as you go home and you spend time with Jesus, I would encourage you just to go to the Lord and say, hey, you know, how active is the Spirit of God in my life? Or more important, how active am I allowing Him to be? How much am I yielding to the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Spirit. What a tremendous gift you've given us. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help me personally to yield more of my life to your Spirit, to trust more in you, to lean more on you. Um, Help me to more fully appreciate the fact that I am a, a temple, that the Holy of Holies is now within me. And, Lord, I, I pray that I would yield and realize that I can't do this on my own. I am powerless, but that as I allow your Spirit to go to work, you can do some marvelous things. In Christ's name, amen.